Amen. You know, as I, Chris, think about this issue of abuse, I'm thinking about the shrapnel that I experience as part of living in a fallen world. For many of us, the abuse we may have experienced in life has been an indirect thing. It's been the case in mine. You know, maybe we just found ourselves too close to a war zone physically, emotionally. I know someone personally in my life who I think about who has shared their stories of domestic abuse with me that they've experienced. Several people in my life, friends of mine, have shared with me stories of sexual abuse that they endured. You know, one of the things that happens in life when people find out you're in vocational ministry, especially of some kind, and you're out in public in social situations, is that often you'll have people open up to you about really difficult things from their past. I grew up in a ministry household, as a lot of you know, and I watched my parents experience that same sort of uh, dynamic as they would often be introduced to brand new people, people we'd never met before, who would very quickly uh, tell us the tragic things that God had brought them through. They'd open up. Through those experiences, I got a, I got a pretty good sense early on in life about all the kinds of evil that exist and that everybody you meet has got some kind of scar that they carry with them. Scars that they're afraid to let other people see. But friends, I'm here to tell you that Jesus isn't afraid of our scars. Neither should we be. But hearing those stories isn't the same as being someone who has been through abuse. That's what I mean by experiencing it as shrapnel. For so many people, it's not experienced as shrapnel. Instead, they've experienced guns actually pointed at them. Perhaps fists of rage have been pointed at you. Maybe you've been pinned down. Maybe you've experienced what it means to be violated. Perhaps you've been made to feel worthless by someone or feel as if you're unloved or even worse, unlovable. That's the kind of abusive situation that often involves someone whispering, whispering in your ear, let's just keep this our little secret, which creates a sense of isolation in you. And we know when you feel alone in your suffering, and we know that sin thrives where there's isolation and secrecy. Some of you may have experienced it in your own family, and for you this has created deep wounds that, even, that take even years to begin healing. Perhaps it was your aunt or your uncle or, or, or your father or your mother, or maybe it was even your spouse. Often abuse happens in relationships like these that should feel the most secure, relationships that God designed to be a mirror of his love for us. As a result, a lot of people wind up with a very distorted view of who God is because of the abuse they experienced at the hands of someone who should have been a spiritual authority figure to them. The statistics are troubling and they're astounding to hear, and I'm just going to share a few with you this morning. But did you know that violence and neglect against children is reported on average of every 10 seconds? A recent survey on marital violence reports that approximately one in every seven American couples has used some form of physical abuse during an argument in the last year. And children who see physical violence between their parents are six times more likely to abuse their spouses after they marry. If that happened when they were teenagers, they're 12 times more likely to do it. Sexual abuse of children, far more widespread than any of us previously assumed. According to a recent study, the victims are between 15 and 34% of all girls, 3 and 9% of all boys. And more than 90% of those abusers were adult males. Just under 80% of reported child fatalities as a result of abuse and neglect were caused by one or more of the child victim's parents. And on average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. During one year, that amounts to about 10 million men and women. The list goes on and on. But abuse, we know, is not just something that's a, a new reality of this modern world that we live in. 
The Bible frequently addresses situations of abuse and principles regarding the issue. I'll give you a few. Proverbs 6.34 tells us of jealous men who act beyond the bounds of control. Psalm 55, sometimes kind and gentle speech, buttery words, they mask violence. Exodus 34.7, the effects of sin committed by one person are felt in successive generations, which is a pattern that's well known in, in abused families. And incidents of child abuse in the Bible, they usually involve things like the killing of infants or children. Reported instances are things like the death of the Israelite male babies in Egypt, male babies of Bethlehem, sons of Mesha, Ahab, Manasseh, daughters of Lot and Jephthah. And Ezekiel compared the origin of the people of, of Israel to an abandoned baby that's found and cared for by God. In the psalmist, in, in Psalm 103, he likened God to a father who has compassion on his children. That's a teaching that's expanded by Jesus when he declared that God is more caring than even human fathers. You know, we, we can't allow ourselves to bury our heads in the sand on this issue. We must acknowledge that it's very real and it's far more frequent than any of us would like to admit. It is a reality of living in this fallen world. I want you to go to God's Word with me for a moment and hopefully they'll have this on the screen. I think we've got our technical issues straightened out. Galatians 5:19 through 21 says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. For those who have been through the unfortunate experience of abuse of some kind, it often leads to a life full of questions, doesn't it? Why me? Why did this thing happen to me? Where was God when it happened? Why would God even allow it to happen? You know, if you're asking that question in response to some kind of abuse that you've experienced, know that you're not alone in asking it. It's the same question that anyone who's ever experienced pain on this side of eternity has asked. That's all of us in this room, on some level. That question, of course, is where is God in my pain and where is he in my suffering? Look at the Old Testament with me for a minute. And I, this is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27. And I'll give you a little context on this verse. 40th chapter of Isaiah begins with a section of the book that deals primarily with uh, preparing the people of Judah for their captivity in Babylon period of Jewish history during which a number of those people uh, the ancient kingdom of Judah were captives in Babylonia. In chapter 39 and verse 6, the prophet said to King Hezekiah, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. We pick it up at verse 40, or, or chapter 40, verse 27. It says this, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. It's a question that sounds very similar to the kind of why me questions that people who have been through abuse often ask. In these verses, the author teaches us some great truths about God. Truths that would bring healing to the wounded souls of those who would endure the distress and the sorrow of captivity. The fact is, friends, the abuse that so many people, that many of you in here this morning have experienced is something that God never, ever intended for you to have to endure. He never designed it to be part of your life. It is a reality of living in a fallen, broken world where the sins of others can and often do affect us and sometimes, unfortunately, even do harm to us. If you've experienced abuse of some kind, what God does have to offer you is hope and healing. I'm going to read on in Isaiah for a moment. This is verse 29, um, 
through 31. It says, He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with, with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If you were here with us a few weeks ago, much like the issue of adoption that we talked about together several weeks ago, taking care of those who have experienced abuse is about the heart of God to take care of the most vulnerable because those who abuse others take advantage of vulnerable people. I want you to hear another story uh, from someone in our church who has a story of past abuse to share with us. Shannon Salem. Let's watch this together. Shannon, we want to thank you as well for sharing your story with us today, for having the courage to do that. In her video, she talked a lot about how the abuse she experienced robbed her of her sense of safety, her sense of security. Our churches have got to be a place of safety for those who have experienced abuse, a place of security where healing not only can but does happen. What that also means for each of us individually is how we treat one another absolutely matters. Perhaps you're someone today who has been on the side of giving abuse to someone else. Now, I know a lot of you, uh, and I look around this room, and I don't think that that's the case, but I can't guarantee that. I don't know everybody's story completely. Let me just say, if you're inflicting on someone else, you are clearly living in a place that is outside of the will of God. And a little side note here. In the context of this church body, please don't mistake our soft-hearted love and care for those who've experienced abuse as a safe environment for an abuser. An author um, for the Reader's Digest several years ago studied a group of Amish people in preparation for an article that he was going to write on them. And his observation at the schoolyard, he noted that the children never screamed or yelled at each other. Now, that's pretty amazing. You can go to our playground and watch our kids. They're yelling at each other all the time, right? And most kids. But that amazed him. So he spoke to the schoolmaster about it. And he remarked how he had not once heard an Amish child yell. And he asked the schoolmaster why he thought that was the case. And the schoolmaster replied, Well, have you ever heard an Amish adult yell? He hadn't. Neither had the kids. Part of our duty here at FCC is to, is to shepherd and to create an environment that prote- protects the vulnerable, the most innocent amongst us. On the practical side... That means that we've got security cameras in place in this building for a reason. Uh, It's the reason that there was a a check-in process for dropping off your children downstairs. Additionally, we do background checks on everyone who wants to work with our kids, and I will say we are confident in the integrity of our personnel. We take very seriously the words of Jesus about our responsibility toward children. Matthew 18.10 See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. It's the reason that we will use every means we can, and that includes prosecuting to the fullest extent of the law should the unthinkable happen. It's meant to protect those who might be potential victims, but it's also meant to dissuade um, and forewarn potential abusers as well because we seek to protect the vulnerable amongst us, uh, both from physical and emotional harm, and we seek to protect those who might be potential abusers Uh, from the distance that their actions place between them and a holy God. But what else does this mean for us individually? 
Well, we need to create a community where abuse doesn't happen. Uh, it means that how we treat each other matters. And, and in fact, our treatment of each other is so much about what it means to live together uh, in Christ-like community. Now, there may be some with us today who have been abusive. And, and like I said, I, I don't think that's the case, and I certainly hope it's not. But if you think that's you, if you feel that that's been you, I want you to take these words of the book of James with you today. James 1.20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If you're mistreating someone in your life, if you've mistreated someone in your life, in your family, someone you're an authority figure to maybe, it's absolutely time that that stops. It's time for a heart check. And stopping abuse doesn't just mean stopping the behavior you might be subjecting someone to. It means you've got to confess to that person. You've sinned against God and them and beginning what will likely be a long process of healing. Got to create a community where it just doesn't happen. But it's a lot more than that, isn't it? We've got to create a community whose trademarks are showing gentleness and kindness toward one another. As Paul wrote in Ephesians, Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I want you to hear one more story uh, from a lady in our church who has experienced this in her past. Tammy Northy. Let's watch together. Tammy, we want to thank you as well for your willingness to share your life with us today. And, and ladies, we want to thank all of you again um, for your willingness to tell your story this morning. You've shared something with us that we all know can't be easy to talk about. I can tell you that after just talking about my own family's experience with divorce a couple of weeks ago, it's very difficult to even open up on that issue. I can't imagine how much more difficult it's been for these three ladies today. For the rest of us that are here, let me just kind of reiterate that if you see uh, one of those three ladies on your way out, please say an encouraging word to them this morning. Thank them for sharing their story uh, because words like those can be a small piece of what it means for the body of Christ to be the context where healing can happen from these kinds of experiences. You know, friends, I know as we've heard these three stories today, I know unfortunately that it's likely that they're not the only stories of abuse that are being carried by individuals in this room. Now, I don't know all of you who are here, but I know enough about some, and, and I know that uh, enough about people in general to know that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There are likely those with us today who've never experienced any relief uh, from past scars that they, the, the scars they bear from past abuse of some kind. There may be lots here today who aren't experiencing the healing that they need, and maybe they haven't for decades. We might have opened up some wounds. And some of you might have some scabs and scars that are bleeding again. But can I suggest that vulnerability is a really good thing? Maybe you're experiencing some kind of abuse in your life right now. Maybe it's a current reality. Maybe you're suffering in silence. Many of us here might be familiar with the story of the town of Centralia, Pennsylvania. The Centralia, Pennsylvania mine fire. There's an underground coal mine fire that's been burning continually under the earth uh, since May of 1962 there. It's left that town completely devastated. And only about seven residents are left there currently here in 2016 in what was once a thriving community. In 1983, uh, residents who'd been living uh, um, above the smoldering underground coal mine fire then for about 21 years voted to leave their homes and let the government crews try to snuff the flames out. 
Mary Tyson, who at that time was a 70-year-old Centralia native, said this when she was asked about it. She said, you know, I'd like to stay in my home, but I don't want to live on top of fire and gases. Does that story resonate with your life today? Are you suffering from the scars of past abuse, a fire that continually burns in your memory? Are you continuing right now to live in a toxic situation where abuse is all too much a reality? Perhaps it's time you broke that silence. Maybe it's time you began to heal, to experience the healing that only comes through knowing Jesus Christ. And I want to leave you with this psalm, Psalm 147.3. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. When we experience abuse of some kind, it feeds us a lie. And that lie is that we don't have value, that somehow we're undeserving of love. But I will tell you that Christ's sacrifice tells a very different story for us, doesn't it? A lot of us here grew up singing a familiar children's worship chorus. And if if I started to sing it right now, most of us would jump in. Uh, He's got the whole world in his hands. We know it, right? He's got the whole world in his hands. Now, I know, you know, if if you hear the words to that song uh, and you've had the experience of past abuse in your life of some kind, you might hear it and you might say, Okay, I get it. I get the broad concept that God holds the world in place. The big picture that he's holding on to everybody. But what about me? What about all the scars I bear from the pain of my past experiences from abuse? Does he hold me in his hands too? To that, friends, I say, yes, absolutely he does. He loves you. He sent Christ to die for you. What he desires from us is obedience and a greater intimacy with him. Now, I don't know your situation this morning, but but what I do know is that ultimately everyone in this room needs Jesus. And each week we offer that invitation. And maybe today you've never accepted Christ and, and submitted to the waters of Christian baptism that symbolize a death to self, a death to who we once were. Maybe you know Christ. 